Amen. So good to be in church this morning. Amen. Welcome to summer months, Memorial Day weekend. School is out. Kids everywhere are bored already. I don't know about yours, but I've I heard the words, I'm bored uh, this week already. I think they should like be out a week and then go ahead and start a, a again. And so um, we'll have to get, get used to that this summer months. We are, over the next three weeks, going to uh, start a a a small series, just a little three-week series called Be Like Jesus. And um, in this series, my goal is really to kind of bring us back to some grassroots kind of thing. I think sometimes as believers, we need to come back to the nuts and bolts of why we do what, what we're doing and why, why we're coming to church and why we're serving and why we're giving and why we're telling this story of Jesus that happened uh, 2,000 years ago. Why, why do we keep that going on and on and, and, and on? It's because we're striving to be like Christ and we know that there's a difference um, in serving Jesus than in not serving Jesus. And so that's kind of what I want to bring out. I think for many, maybe even some of you here, um, you know, there's this, there's this thought that kind of generates through Christendom. And it's, it's one of, you know, once I make this decision to follow Christ, that it kind of just ends. That that's, that's the, uh, the end of the, of the finish line. And now all I got to do is kind of just strive and, and survive until heaven. But I think there's this big gap between the time that you and I make this decision to follow Jesus and, and, and eternity, whatever that's going to look like. And uh, Jesus has called us, when we look at, at Scripture, it's very clear that he is saying, listen, there is a life for you and a life that is, is more abundant and a life that is full of joy and a life that, that is, is full of passion for you to live out. Um, and if you will just get on board with me, I will make that manifest in, in you. And so I think part of being like Jesus is to be inspired by him. And so when we, when we look at him calling the disciples to him, when we look at the New Testament church, when we read through the book of Acts and we see the Spirit moving across new believers, there is an inspiration component to it that people are inspired to change their lives for him. They're leaving careers. They're leaving family. And they're saying, you have motivated me to do something uh, that is new and fresh and and revealing to me. And so being like Jesus means that you and I are inspired to not only attempt to be like him, but to follow at every cost uh, to follow Jesus. And so I want to start with some scripture as a foundation for moving this thought forward this morning, I'm just going to read five different scriptures, and they all kind of have a theme and, and a connection, and I'm going to use those as kind of a foundation uh, for moving forward. So Acts chapter 2, verse 17, again, keep in mind that, that the context here is that the church has exploded. There's some amazing things transpiring in the New Testament church. It's growing daily, and, um, and so this is coming from that. He's quoting Isaiah here, but he says, In the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all people, and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, For I know the plans that I have for you. In Proverbs 29, 18, he says, Where there is no vision." people perish. Now, this is not the vision that, that we're using right now to look at each other. This is a, is, is a navigational 
directional, inspirational type of vision. It is one that is saying, if you don't have something ahead of you to latch on to, to believe in, to be passionate about, there is something in you that is dying. That's what he's saying. He's saying that you you can get up, your body is going to go on, your mind is going to go on, you're going to wake up, you're going to have breakfast, you're going to go to work, you're going to take a lunch break, you're going to finish your day, you're going to go home, you're going to mow the yard, you're going to eat dinner, and you're going to love your family, and you're going to get up tomorrow and do the same thing again. But if you don't have a dream, then there is something in you that is slowly being sapped out of you, and you are dying to some extent inside of your existence when there is no vision. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, this is Jesus talking to the disciples, and he's saying this, follow me, and his context is, I will make you fishers of men. Okay, he's trying to be, be relevant because they, they are, are fishermen. So he's using this, and he's saying, listen, you fish for, uh, you're, you're fishing now to make a, a living, but if you'll follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men, and you're going to be influential and change people's lives. But I always like manipulating this verse and leaving it blank because it's so applicable to you and I because we get to fill in the blank with whatever. Follow me and I will make you what? Follow me and I I will make you this. Follow me and I will make you that. It's part of the I have a plan for your life. Okay, and lastly, Ephesians 3, verse 20 says this, Now to him who is able to do far more than we can think or imagine. And I want you to think about that for just a moment. He's saying, listen, there is a part of you that I designed you with, an ability for you to imagine things. I'm bigger than than, than that. Anything that you could come up for your family, I'm bigger than that. Anything that you can dream up for your career, I'm bigger than that. Anything that our church could dream up for this community, he's bigger than that. He said, I'm, I'm bigger than, than the things, far more I can give you than the things that you can think or imagine. So the point of these scriptures is that people who are following Jesus, who are being like Jesus, are inspired by him to dream something big. And this is not just connected to your natural skill set. This is not just connected to your humble existence. This is connected to something so big that you need God's help to get it done. And he's wanting to hand us something and speak something to us that is so grand that we're going to have to hold his hand to get it done. We're going to have to lean into him to see it accomplished. And so dreams in Scripture came primarily in two forms. As you turn through the pages of Scripture and you see these amazing stories start to unfold, they're always tethered to a dream. And so they, they come in two forms, a dream that is discovered and a dream that is deferred or postponed. And so we have this, this great uh, web of stories about people all given something great. And for some of them, the timing is all different. Because for some, it's immediate, and for some, it takes years to see it unfold. Dreams discovered, dreams deferred. Let's look at dreams discovered for just a minute. Do you know that you and I are the only thing in all of creation that lays in bed at night and thinks about the next 10 years of life? 
You and I are the only thing. I mean, a dog just wants to eat. A cat just wants to sleep. The gerbil just wants to get in the wheel thingy and run around. But you and I lay in bed at night, and we, we consider all these scenarios. Well, what, what about this, and what about, about that? And sometimes we do it uh, so successfully that we get up at 3 a.m. and pace our homes and, and go through the fridge and look outside, and, we, and, and we, we pray, and then we go to bed at 5 o'clock because we've been up for two hours thinking about our future. We're the only thing that God designed to have such a creative imagination. He gave us the ability to visualize, to reflect, to ponder, to crave adventure, to assess the what-ifs of our lives. Life without a dream many times is like going to the grocery store without a grocery list. I don't know if you've ever been shopping when you're hungry, but I've done it often. You walk in, everything looks good, even Brussels sprouts. You're like, there's Brussels sprouts, get them! Cottage cheese, oh, it's going to be awesome. And you're throwing stuff because you're hungry and you don't have have a list to guide you. And so anything that appeals to you. And and the end result of that is having a lot of stuff in your buggy that has no business being there. And so sometimes we do that in in life because we have no navigational beacon. There's no, no dream to keep us honed in. And so everything that appeals to us or looks good to us ends up in our buggy. And so we end up with an, an unhealthy relationships or friendships or financial problems or dead-end careers because we've just kind of dumped everything into one, one buggy. This is why sometimes you and I, we see a teenager who is lost, attitude out of control, no identity, quits school, quits God, and we go, that's a bad kid. Truth is, it's not a bad kid. It's just somebody who doesn't have a dream yet. If nothing to tether them to any form of reality. But it doesn't stop with teenage years. We've all seen 30-year-old-plus people, no job, wants to live with their parents, no ambition. They need a dream. 40-year-old alcoholic, mad at the world, disappointed in life, sitting on the sidelines. They don't have a dream. And when we don't have something definitive driving us, we go through life throwing things in the buggy that has no business being there. James chapter 1 and verse 8, he gives us some insight on this. And he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Meaning this, when you and I can't look at two things and make a decision on one of them, we are double-minded. When we go through life and go, I'll take some of that and some of that and some of, of that, that too, and we, and we can't just differentiate between what's healthy and what's unhealthy, he's saying, listen, you're unstable. And so there are things in our experience, our spiritual experience, our relational experience, our emotional experience that needs to stay on the shelf. And we only get to differentiate that because we know it's not part of what God has for us. We look at some things and, and, and we need to be able to have the wherewithal and the wisdom to look at it and go, that does not even look like the dream God has put in my life. So it stays where it's at. We have something that, that drives us and keep, keeps us on, on target. The second thing is we have dreams that are deferred. Sometimes dreams get postponed 
because of pain. Pain is a big postponement because it's, it paralyzes us. It's like a punch in the gut. We just, we got to take a second and kind of catch our breath from what happened. And in all of our, our dreaming, our thinking, our imagination that I've already spoke of, we always write that story out and it looks great. And if it would all happen the way we pin it out or imagine it, it'd be perfect. But it never does. Because life is not fair. And it's hard. And it's challenging. And it's full of pain. And when it happens, we just kind of stop. And even more, there are times we stop spiritually. Pain comes, we stop believing. We stop praying. We stop serving. We stop growing. We stop worshiping. And we may do a lot of religious stuff like come to church or, or, or do other things like, like, like that. But the truth is at the core of us, we're, we've stopped. And pain has paralyzed us. And the dream in us is paralyzed. And I'm gonna, not going to act like I'm far re- removed from that. We, we've had a lot of pain. Robbie and I have experienced pain. We've been hurt by churches. We've been hurt by death. We, we've been humiliated before. And it's a setback. And you look at the things around you, you just kind of coast for a while. You just push the clutch in, put it in neutral, and hope you got enough momentum to make it for a couple of months. That's what pain does. It defers it. And to prove this point, I want to look quickly at three of our former presidents, and I want to show you a pattern really quick of pain. Abraham Lincoln, President 61 to 65 of the 1800s. Theodore Roosevelt, 1901 to 1909. And Franklin D., 1933 to 1945. All three of these men had terrible hardships. They all experienced levels of depression, horrible deaths in their family, and unseen illnesses. Lincoln had a very challenging marriage. It was no fun being married to Mary Todd. She suffered from severe depression. He threatened her more than once to institutionalize her, saying, I I just can't take it. I can't take life with you. I can't lead lead this country with you. I can't raise kids with you. I, I, I can't take your existence. He was defeated nine different times in politics, failed many times in business. He had a nervous breakdown in 1836. Two of his sons died early in in age, contributing to his and Mary Todd's depression. And he would end up telling those closest to him, I know I'm going to be assassinated for my stance on slavery. I know I am. And he said, so I'm tired of walking around in fear. I'm going to live my life, and if it happens, it happens, but I'm tired of, of looking over my shoulder the whole time. Theodore Roosevelt His wife and his mother died on the same day. And in 1912, I don't know if you guys have ever ever read this, but in 1912, he was given a speech and got shot mid-speech. And he he was kind of doing his intro, but he had had his speech. It was lengthy, folded up, doubled up, and and tucked away in his coat jacket. And that's where he got shot, through his speech. And so he makes this this quote, okay? I pulled this out of of, of a book this week. This is what he said, quote, I need everyone to be as quiet as possible. I want to give this speech, but I've just been shot. The bullet is in me now, but it has missed my heart. And it's going to take more than that to kill a moose, okay? That's a man right there, okay? 
When I was studying that, I just threw my, my man card on my desk. I was like, I said, I'm done. I mean, you can't even compare to that. And they, they said he pulled his speech out, blood all over his shirt, unfolded it, had two bullet holes in it because it was doubled over, and he spoke from it. It's a man right there, y'all. Okay, Franklin D., he would have been on, on the cover of GQ magazine any day. Handsome guy, great background, great leadership qualities, but unexpectedly he acquired polio. And so all three of these men, they had one thing in common, a big, on-fire, deferred dream. Something in them that was eating them alive. They wanted it so bad they were losing sleep at night. But it, it was de de deferred, whether it was death or depression or polio Whatever it was, there was a lot of pain that came in and started to slow down the momentum of their life. Now watch. The Apostle Paul tells us that the pain in his life, and for those of you who are well-versed, you know the, 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 the things that Paul had to put up with, all the, all the tortures and imprisonment and those types of things. And he says, that plays a part in my dream. And so I want to show you this. Philippians chapter 1. 12 through 14, this is him teaching. He's writing this letter to Philippi, and this is amazing. He starts this off, and he says, I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That the pain in my life is actually going to help somebody else come to know Christ. And he goes on. So that it has become known that my imprisonment is for Christ. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, meaning if Paul can take it, we can take it. If Paul's going through that, then surely we can pull this out. And he ends. They are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul sees a correlation between my pain and what God is trying to do through my life. That because I'm experiencing this, other people get to experience that. This pain is part of my dream. And just because it's deferred does not mean it's not going to happen. And maybe somebody needs to hear that this morning. Just because you got pain, just because something has slowed it down, just because the momentum has backed off does not mean God is done. You're right where he needs you to be. So the first thing I want to bring up is this. What's happening in you is more important than what's happening to you. All right? What's happening in you is so much more important than what is happening to you. Don't let external circumstances silence your internal confidence. Don't let what's happening out here ruin what's happening to you spiritually. Live in the overflow of what is happening to you spiritually and let that flow over into your reality. Don't, don't reverse that principle. Don't let your spirit man be inhibited by what's happening externally. One time I was really, really stuck spiritually in, in, in my life. And I was doing all the things I felt like I was supposed to do and was called to do, but I was just really feeling stuck. 
And so it was, it was almost like, you know, I'd come to church on Sunday and feel really great, but by Wednesday, it was like I was totally de- defeated A again, and just this constant back and forth struggle. And so I called a friend of mine, and I said, listen, this is what's going on, and I just feel stuck. And, and he said, listen, what, how, do you, how do you feel when you get into the presence of, of God? What, what happens there? And I said, man, it's great. I mean, I feel, I feel like, like I'm alive. I feel like I'm on point. I feel like everything is going to work out. I'm encouraged when I, when I leave that. And he said, then stay in that as, as a greater truth, meaning this. Let what happens in you spiritually be the bigger voice. Let, let what God is telling you silence out the other voices and thoughts and imaginations that's going on. Because what's happening in you is more important than what's happening to you. And for some of you in this room, a lot has happened to you. And I know because you told me. A lot's happened to you. And you can't let that ruin your entire life and your entire spiritual walk. Is it part of your story? Yes. But that also makes it part of your incredible testimony to the goodness and the greatness of God that there was a season in your life when the wheels fell off and you don't know how you got up and you don't know how you dusted yourself off and you don't know how you went on to make something of yourself, but it happened because God was on your side. What's happening in you is more important than what's happening to you. Let me prove that with a story. Normally when I talk about Miss America contestants, I make fun of them, but today I'm not. We'll tell a real story. Former Miss America, she was asked the question, what drove her to competing in pageants? And this is what she said. Her story was that she grew up in a very rural area. Her parents were owned a little grocery store in a, in a very povertous area. And so basically uh, she was a, a, a no one living in the middle of nowhere. And as, as a child, she was really involved with her parents' grocery store, and she would often sit on the steps and greet people coming in, and she would clean up. And so you would find her oftentimes sweeping or dusting something down or restocking shelves and whatnot, just a small family-owned grocery store. And she said, but we, we had this milkman, and he would come around, he would bring us fresh milk all the time for our grocery store. And he was like a, a grandfather figure to me. And every time he would, he would point to me and he would smile and he would, he would always say something to me, And she said, and for a decade, he said the same statement to me every day when he came in to bring milk. He said, how's my little Miss America doing? And the next day, he he would find her and say, how's my little Miss America doing? And the next day, he would see her, how's my little Miss America doing? And she said, growing up, I was so insecure, and this was before beauty ever found me. And she said, but he spoke that into my life, and he was the first person to ever really put a seed in my, in my life. And so she said, as I grew and, and matured, those words brought confidence to me, ended up being a landmark in my mind of what I could eventually accomplish. And as I read that, I was blown away. Number one, that a Miss America contestant could say something so logical. But what happened, secondly, is that, you know, I read that on like Wednesday, and so like Thursday morning, Friday morning, Saturday morning, and this morning, every time I saw Riley, I, I said, hey, how's, how's my little uh, billionaire doing? <laughs> Dad's got to retire someday. 
Second thing I want to talk about is favor follows hustle. Favor follows hustle. We have a long list of first world problems, and many of those stem from a generation of people who feel they deserve something. And this entitlement has infiltrated a lot of things. Big things, small things, a sense of entitlement. You owe me something because I'm, I'm here, because I was born, because I'm, 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 a, I'm a person. You, you owe me something. The world owes me something. That particular group owes me something. And it's just spread like, like, like a cancer. And it's also infiltrated church. And people feel that the church owes them a certain experience. And we always want to do things with, with excellence. I'm not going against that. Excellence is doing the best you can with what you have. And we, we want to be excellent. We want to be wise. We, we want your church experience to be great. But sometimes it gets ridiculous because of a sense of entitlement. Let me give you some examples. Some people say, well, the parking space that we always use must be available when we get there. Because it's close to, to the door. It's got some shade to it so my car doesn't get too hot. It's next to that little island with some little trees on it, and so there's a less chance of getting dings from another vehicle opening their door because I can just hug the island. It gives me about 8, 10, 12 more inches. The sanctuary must be 73 degrees, not 70, not 76. If it's 76, I'm fanning. If it's 70, i got to bring a quilt. It's got to be 73. The decibel level of worship needs to be about 50. And right now at New Life, you're pushing 250, which is like a jet engine. I want you to bring it back some. The seat must be clean, straight, and free of all coffee stains. Child check-in must be quick. Check-out must be even quicker because I'm hungry. If I serve, it needs to come with zero expectations. Okay? So I'll serve, but I may not be on time. I'll serve, but I may not be there when I say I'm going to be there. If the service goes too long, we will leave for lunch. I'm just saying it. If you talk too little about money, we can't have what, what we need to make ministry run. But if you talk too much, it's a turn off and I'm not giving anything. And you can talk about sin, but just don't get to the ugly stuff. Like keep it shallow, keep it about the person on my left and my right, but don't ever talk about me. It's entitlement. Okay. Now let me let me give us some perspective. Pastor Rick a few months ago went and, and did a service uh, in, in Syria. He was there for many, many days. People walk two days to get to one service. Mark Pagley, our Russellville pastor, he takes a trip one to two times every year to the jungles of Peru. And he will let them know when he's coming, and people will start walking one week away from his expected a- a arrival. He said, sometimes people have been, have been walking for four days before my plane ever leaves America. It's amazing to put that church experience over the grid of our own and realize that there are people everywhere who don't care about temperatures and comfortable chairs and parking spaces and key fobs to check their kids in and any other luxury that could come with a first world experience of church. All they want to do is be in the presence of God. That all they want to do is 
is get a word. All they want to do is be prayed for. All they want to do is have an opportunity to just worship Jesus. And that's what being like him is about, that favor follows hustle. And a lot of times we think that, that we need favor. God, give us favor. I just don't want to work for it. God, help us to reach this community, but I don't want to embarrass myself by talking about Jesus in public. We want the favor, but we don't want to hustle. And so this is something that has stricken a lot of areas. And here's, here's a hard truth. Let me give it to us. God doesn't owe us anything, but he'll bless our socks off when we put forth the effort. If we really want to change a, a community, if we really want to minister to a community, when we hustle, when we show the work, when we show the passion for it, God will bless it. If we really plan on having healthy marriages and healthy children, we will have to put the work in. So let me end, end with this. When you think about climbing Everest, there's one, the goal of those, of those teams, of those climbing teams can be summed up in one sentence, to reach the top, to summit. That's it. That's the goal, to summit. It's not to get halfway there. It's not to get three-quarters of the way there. It's, it's to get to the top. That's the goal. That's what all the money's for, the training is for, all this gear is for, to get me to the top. That's the goal. And if I compare that to some of the dreams that we've had, the things that inspire all of you, the things that, that you find your passion about, what gets you out of bed in the morning and get, get you going, that thing that makes you want to summit, the things that you believe God has spoken to you, that he's going to do in you and through you and for you. See, sometimes when, when they're climbing Everest, they, they start and they get to base camp one. And at base camp one, the air is a little, little bit thinner. It was a challenge to get there, but for an experienced climber, it's nothing. And they settle in, and sometimes uh, they, they may stay there just a, a few days, and then they go on, and they go to base camp two. This feels kind of weird, if I'm being honest with you. And so they, they go to base camp two, and at base camp two, things can change. You can get, some, you, you, you can get nauseous. And the difference between base camp one and base camp two is acclimation. You need to get acclimated. But sometimes what happens on their goal for the summit when they get to base camp two, they got to take a step down and go back to base camp one. And they stay there. And then after a given period of time, they go back to base camp two. And then they may have to go back to base camp one. And they may have to go back and forth between those two. And then suddenly it's like, it's like their body is acclimated, their mind is right, everything lines up. And they say, today is the day for me to, me to summit. Okay, now listen with your spiritual ears for a minute. Just because you started a, a dream... And just because you were, you were making your way and something set you back does not mean you unpack and go home and quit. It means you just stop. You just reacclimate. All right? Stay, stay with me. Sometimes you just need to soak in it for a minute. All right? You need to let, let the dream come to you and unfold in you and flourish in you. And you can't help it. I'm built the same way. When God speaks something to me, I want it right now. 
And my Pentecostal background does not help because I'm like, Lord, you said it. I claim it in the name of Jesus. Okay, that was funny, but there's apparently no Pentecostals here. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to soak on it and say, God, right now I'm okay with base camp one. I've been to base camp two, but I'm having to take a step back. I'm I'm not quitting. I'm not going home. I'm not mad. I'm not going to be, be hurt at, at anybody. I'm not going to quit the faith. I'm just going to reacclimate. And you may have to do that many, many times in, in your dream. Listen, be okay with that. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you with your faith. There's nothing wrong with God. He is preparing you for the best summit of your life. But sometimes the process is like like waves. They come in and they go out. And they come in and they go out. And instead of cursing the water, why don't you ride the wave and have a great time enjoying God's presence in your life? All right? Don't let fear make you settle for less than God's best because just because you have to take a step back does not mean you take a step down. So what's happening in you is more important than what's happening to you. And favor is going to follow your hustle. Work your dream. Believe in your dream. Hammer out your dream. Put some sweat into your dream. Pray over your dream. Fast over your dream. Talk about your dream with people who love you and care about you and can pour into your life. It'll help you with timing. It'll help you with encouragement. It'll help you with a lot of different aspects of you fleshing out something in in your life. But by all means, don't come climbing down the mountain with a bag full of Kleenex. Stay steady. And let God finish what he started in you. And one day you'll stand on, on the summit and you'll see very clearly how your story made an impact on people other than yourself. All right? Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning. Let me talk to your heart for just 60 seconds.